So, we have uh, this week the Parashah's Kitisa, and it discusses, I think, one of the most difficult subjects for us to understand. It discusses the, the worshipping of the golden calf, only uh, 40 days after Matan Torah. And what's even more difficult to understand is that the guy who builds the golden calf, or seems to build the golden calf, is... Aharon. So we were actually, we were talking a little about it this morning. So I went through some of the notes and I put together, I think too much notes, but we'll see where we go. So I think the, the key is very important to look at the Pesukim, the verses inside. Because one of the problems is that we heard the story and we think we know the story based on what we heard without looking at the words and seeing how it evolves. So I think we're going to look at it first from the words. Then we're going to look at what the Arizal says to try to allow us to understand or possibly understand what, where, why, and who. So we begin. So, so it's, this is the, uh, towards the end of the portion. We see, Vayad Ha'am, the nation sees, Ki boshesh Moshe laredet. Moshe is delayed, according to their opinion, uh, in coming down from the mountain. So Moses, God gave the Ten Commandments. Moses was there. Moses goes up. Moses leaves them instructions. I'll be back in 40 days while I'm gone. There are two people who are in charge in case you need anything. One of them is my brother Aaron, who's been your leader from before I got there. And the other is my nephew, Hor who is also, who's from the tribe of Judah, and he's, he's the leader as well. So uh, whatever you need, turn to them, they'll figure it out. So, so it says they see that he's delayed. Now, they're, they're seeing that he's delayed is, is, according to Rashi, is a miscalculation. They calculated part of a day as the full day from when he left. So today is now the 16th day of uh, the month of Tammuz, the middle of July. And they're calculating that he's late. It says, what happens? Vayikahel ha'am al aharon. So the nation gathers on Aaron. When it, when it says al aharon, the way they're putting it, it's almost to attack him. Vayomeru alav, and they say to him, Kum, get up. Aselanu Elohim. Make for us, we translate Elohim as a god or a leader or some medium. That will go in front of us. Because this man Moses, now they're specifically using the term Haish, that he's just a man. And one of the questions is, how could he have survived? He stepped into this fire in heaven. He hasn't come back. He's probably dead. Who brought us out of Egypt? So they're admitting Moses is a man who who has these great powers, who took us out of Egypt. We don't know what happened to him. According to Rashi, he says, Satan, Satan confused them. I don't know where he has the permission to confuse them. It seems to be difficult. And they see a vision of Moses dead, coffin of Moses. And, uh, but the question then is, if Moses is dead, then who should be the natural leader? Aaron. 
So turn to Aaron. He's the one who's been doing all the miracles with Moses anyway. They've been doing everything together. You know, you put the stick, I'll say the words. And okay, you have Aaron. He was the leader for all these years. Why do they need something to specifically act as a medium instead of Aaron? But also, though, um, the appearance, the appearance of, of the Kaddish Baruch on the mountain was very, very traumatic for them to begin with. So it wasn't unreasonable for them to think that Moses probably did. Yeah, very reasonable. That, they, that how could a man survive all of this time in that fire? No food, no water, no anything. He's not coming back. It's not like they knew that he was going to go for 40 days. So it says he told them, I'm going oh, to be back in 40 that. days. Okay. They calculated wrong, and they didn't want to give him a chance to return the next day. He actually returns the next day. It says, Rambam, Ramban, they both agree, even Ezra, Tosfot, all say that the, the people never meant to do idolatry in this case. You know, we look at the golden calf as a symbol of idolatry, but in essence it really wasn't. They were looking for some sort of a medium to lead them, but still a medium that would represent God. How? He did come out of Egypt, which they did idol worshiping in Egypt, so they kind of were surrounded. But, but if, we, if we examine the, even this idea of the golden calf, right. so one of the things we mentioned this morning, which is a little off, but we'll just mention it just to see, is that one of their complaints was that they're hanging out in the desert. And they're not moving forward. We should be moving forward. Initially, the plan was to go from Egypt to Israel or Canaan in 11 days. That's how long it should have taken. Now we're already, we're already, no, not 40 days. We're already seven weeks plus 40 days. So we're 13 weeks since we left. We haven't gone, we've come here and we've been sitting here and there's no Moses. Maybe... Moses was the wrong man for the job because Moses is not encouraging us to grow because he's too nice. He's Mr. Nice Guy. Lost the map. Now, when they left Egypt, it says that they said, This is my God, I'm going to worship him. We compare it to the vision of the Merkava, the vision of the chariot. And when they look up and the, the vision of the chariot, you see when the, the angels are described... You see that the angels have in one place uh, four wings, in one place six wings, but their foot, they have a single foot because they don't walk, they fly. They have a single leg, and that leg resembles the leg of a calf. Additionally, if we look at the chariot of God, there are four images on the chariot. One of them is a bull, which represents the left side, which represents the side of restriction, which represents the angel Gabriel, whose strength and, and, and fighting. And the calf, in essence, is an image in their minds of the angel Gabriel, who should lead them through the desert. The scary thing is, Gabriel, of all the angels, he's the toughest. There's no messing around. There's no mercy like Michael is mercy, Gabriel is justice. We don't have Raphael, Uriel, they're all different, but these two are polar opposites. The one who comes down to destroy Sodom is Gabriel. Gabriel is Gever, Geburah, strength. So it's always associated with strength. And that's, so they're making this image, in essence, relating to, to, uh, to Gabriel. That's one side of the Arizal brings. We were talking about it this morning, but we're going to look in a little different direction.
The strange thing now is they come to Aaron and they tell Aaron, let's make, let's make a god. Now, you would expect the next verse to say what? No. <laughs> I mean, no, we don't do that. That's not what we do. In fact, there are, there are three cardinal sins. And the three cardinal sins which the Ramban brings are... Here, I, I took this out from Rambam. He says, what is the source that idolatry, sexual immorality, and murder should not be committed even to save a life? So it means if someone comes and puts a gun to your head and says, you kill that guy or I'm going to kill you. You have to let yourself be killed. If someone says, rape that woman or I'm going to shoot you, let them shoot me. If someone says, bow to the idol, you have to let them shoot you. So those are the three cardinal sins. Ramban brings them and he brings a source. So if I'm Aaron now, and I'm standing there, and a guy just tells me, build an idol. I tell him, no. He didn't even, they didn't even tell him, we're going to kill you. Now, the rabbis tell us what happened. They had two guys in charge, Hur and Aaron. And before they came to Aaron, they went to Hur. And they told Hur, build us an idol. And Hur said, no. no. So what did they do to him? They killed him. They killed him. He's dead. Now they come up to Aaron and say, we mean business. Build us an idol. What is Aaron required to do by the letter of the law? Say no. Say no. Yet what does he do? So Aaron says to them, Take off the earrings that are in the ears of your wives, your children, and your daughters, your sons and your daughters. What is he doing? He's telling them to bring the jewelry. So the rabbis give him credit and they say, you know what? He figures if the guy goes home and he tells his wife, honey, give me back your jewelry. What's she going to tell him? No. Jump in the lake. I'm not giving you my jewelry. They'll fight. He'll buy time. Moses coming back tomorrow. Let Moses deal with it. What happens? The wives and children say no. The men, though, all wear jewelry. That's why we don't want you. <laughs> so the men all wear jewelry. Maybe that's why, right? So the men wear jewelry, and the men take their own jewelry, and they contribute their own jewelry. So what happens? So, he takes it from their hands. There's a problem now. Had he not taken it from their hands and he just left it on the floor, it might have been a different result. But because he's so holy, he gives some spirituality to this gold. What happens? So, so he places it. He places it in a cloth. So he's gathering like they take a big cloth, must be, and throw all the gold in it. And he makes a solid uh, calf. And the people say, we don't know which people. These are, there's a question, what do you mean these are? It means it must be representative of angels. Elohecha Yisrael, these are your gods, Israel, plural. Asher he'elucha me'eret Mitzrayim, who took you out from the land of Egypt. Now the problem we have is, Asher he'elucha me'eret Mitzrayim, this also is difficult because they all knew God took them out of Egypt. So how is it possible to now take these, this, this calf and for people to say that this calf is the one who took them out of Egypt? Rashi writes, these are your gods, but it does not say these are our gods. From here we learn that it wasn't the regular people. It was the Egyptians who joined them when they left, and they were the ones who were influencing them and causing them to strike. 
So, but it's still hard to believe. Forty days after they, they're at Sinai, they just got out of Egypt. Everyone knows God took them out. So how do they point at this thing and say, this is what took us out of Egypt? Vayar Aaron, now Aaron sees. What does Aaron see? So it says that this ox, this little calf, all of a sudden came to life. It became animated. Now he's really freaked out. What is going on? So the, 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 the rabbi suggests that there was a plaque. So what happened was, in order to leave Egypt, Joseph made them promise that they would take his bones in order to leave. What happened is the Egyptians knew that without Joseph, they couldn't leave. So they took Joseph, they put him in a lead coffin, and they sunk it to the bottom of the Nile. In those days, how can, you, how can you get a lead coffin from the bottom of the Nile? You didn't have scuba diving equipment or, a, or a, a, what's it called, a submarine or the little submarine that Haron was telling us about. He says, you didn't have a little submarine. He says, so what do you do? So that basically Moses took a plaque. He put the, the magical name of God on one side. And on the other side, he wrote, Alei Shore, rise up. Ox. Why? Because Joseph was called an ox. Because Joseph is associated with this idea of Midat Hadin. And Joseph was called the shore. And his father, when he blesses him, he also calls him. So now, what does he do most? He throws this in the water, and all of a sudden, the coffin rises. Now someone grabs the, this disc, and they throw it into the molten gold. And what happens? The calf rises up. So there's some black magic to do with the rising up of this calf. But Yad Aaron, so now Aaron sees. How did this, I don't, I don't know. It says that the two magicians who left Egypt right. took the disc and they used the disc. But Yad, but even if, even if not, even if it just, even if we're going to say that Aaron did this, that's that's what the problem is. Now Aaron is involved in every aspect, and the the question is again. We started. The question is, you're required to give up your life instead of idolatry. Why does Aaron continue in this whole thing without saying? One Kill thing, me. One thing I read once, it's interesting that um, the reason that all was able to happen is because Aaron uh, took it with the right hand. Yeah, I, I said that. That's why he took the gold with his hand. He should have let them put it on the floor. Right. He lent a level of spirituality to the, to the gold. So it says, Aaron. So Aaron sees that this calf came. And he builds an altar in front of it. What? That is even more difficult to understand. And Aharon called out to the people, and he said, A holiday to God tomorrow. So again, this seems to be, again, a stalling tactic. But we see from here that the meaning, is he understood. So the rabbis tell us that, this is what Rashi brings. Aharon saw many things. He saw his sister's son, Hur, who had told them no. They assassinated him. So the meaning of vayiben is an expression of bina understanding. Mizevach lefanav, from the slaughtered one in front of him. He saw that they slaughtered uh, uh, Hur. And so he said, I have to do something to change the situation. So Rashi says, he says, better I should be blamed and not them. That, that's his thinking. This is what Rashi brings. But he's still hoping to delay until tomorrow. And then tomorrow, Moses is coming back. So what happens now? Remember when God gave them the Ten Commandments, they were sleeping and God had to wake them up. 
But when it comes to this situation, they got up very early the next day, and they offered sacrifices, and they brought up a sacrifice, now everything changes. So if their intention initially was to create the calf in order to lead them, and in order to have this aspect of Gevurah, which is allowing a person to grow, that they wanted more tests, that they wanted more strictness, that they wanted, they wanted growth versus mercy, now it all falls apart. They sit down to eat, and then what do they start to do? They drink, 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 and they get up to play. And what does it mean they get up to play? The Rashi, all the rabbis bring, is sexual immorality. So now where their intention may have been, we're going to do this in order to have this medium in front of us. Now instead, they're doing this in order to take God and toss him aside and say, you know what? The problem with God is we left Egypt, we had rules. We came out of Egypt, and instead of being free, we got more rules. So now the heck with everything, we're going to do whatever we want. And maybe that was the intention the whole time. Now it happens. Now at this point, now they're worshipping the camp, but not just where they're doing everything you could imagine. They turn the, the desert into Plato's retreat. Right. So now God turns to Moses. Lech red. Get up, go, go down. Because the, the nation that you brought out of Egypt, this is really funny because it's, you know how the, the wife tells the, the, you know, the, the mother, father, the kid did something bad in school. The, kid, the mother comes home, the father comes home. Ah, your kid, what do you mean your kid? And this argument between Moses goes back and forth between Moses and God about whose kid it is. They both blame each other. But the interesting thing is God doesn't tell Moses to go down the day before. If you really wanted to stop it, and if it was really so terrible what they did the day before in creating a calf, why didn't God send him down the day before? Why wait until this? Which leads us to believe that the creation of the calf on its own wasn't a terrible calamity. It was understandable. Uh, we see it even that the, the, the cherubs later on represent the angels. We talked about that last week. But the problem was throwing off the, the yoke of heaven. Again, though, we still have this problem about Aaron. So the, the, the question that I brought is, why does God subject Aaron to this devastating ordeal of making the Egel? It's obvious that we can't accept this at face value. Aaron, and you're going to say that Aaron failed the test because Aaron should have said, kill me. If Aaron dies, then who's going to lead them to prevent but, them? But, right, but that's not... No, no, but the problem is right. they did everything wrong. Right. No, but, but maybe Aaron, by, by accepting yeah. the responsibility... He knew he could stall it. No, by accepting the responsibility was, was saying, kill me. Mm-hmm. He, he was being the buffer. In other words, instead of, instead of, killing, instead of ki- killing Amisrael... For this sin, kill me instead. Put the blame on me. Yes, exactly. Put the blame on me. That that's really seems to be the, 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 that what he's trying to do. He's trying to put himself in the middle. Right? But his, his responsibility should have said to kill him, to, be, to die. He should well, have... I think he, he felt that, um, based on everything that I read, that um, uh, 
He felt that if, if they did kill him, it's not going to really matter because they're all in deep, deep trouble. Right? Because they would have they killed Hor, who was the prophet. They killed him, who was the Kohen Gadol. Right. So you really knocked everybody off, basically, except Moshe, who they thought was knocked off. How about the and, Joshua? Um, who was who? Joshua. Joshua is sitting on the mountain with Moses. Oh, with Moses. He's, he he's midpoint of Moses on the mountain. So that we see that when Moses comes down, the first thing Joshua says, there's war. Right. He sees the set, he hears what's going on, the party, and because Joshua's, the only experience Joshua, that we have with Joshua till this point is him leading the battle against Amalek. We only know Joshua as a man of war. So Joshua's first thought, you see that a person, a soldier is going to assume war, and that's his first thought that there's a war. And Moses says, no, there's not a war, it's something else going on. So now, what? The, so, but we see that even though we're blaming Aharon, we see that in Divrei Hayamim, it talks about that the sons of Amram, or Aharon and Moshe, and it talks about Aharon was set apart to sanctify him in the Holy of Holies, he and his descendants forever. It, it goes through all these praises of Aaron. So if Aaron really did something wrong, why are we continuing? Why is God praising Aaron? Why is Aaron not getting any of the blame or punishment for what went on? Maybe what he did was, was the right thing. You have to figure out what, what it was that he did right. Right. Let's just, right. So now the Arizal explains, but just to bring up a story that we all heard in first grade, or, or whichever. <laughs> so the, the story that, that the Arizal brings, he says, in order to understand what's going on, we have to understand the story of Ur Kasdim. What's Ur Kasdim? So the rabbis tell us that before God talks to Abraham, Abraham discovers God. He has this discovery. He tries to figure out how could the world be, be, be run? How could the world... He, he basically says that if you have something that's so perfect, there has to be someone behind this perfection. That's his, his thinking. And he declares and he goes through this whole thing. is the sun, the moon. And, and it's not so simple. You know, we say it like that. But his father was the greatest astrologer. He was even a greater astrologer. He understood all the forces of nature. So he's looking at spiritual forces that affect things. And he's saying there has to be a prime mover behind all spiritual forces. There were those who believed in a prime creator. But they believed the creator disappeared. Abraham says, no, it's impossible. The creator has to be continuously involved with creation. And he recognizes or discovers, put it that way, God on his own. When he discovers this, there's a ruler who's in charge basically of the world or at least the world they live in. His name is Nimrod. Nimrod is the king. And Nimrod, because he's the king, sets himself up as a god, which is typical for rulers in those days. I'm God. I created everything. Everyone should worship me. Now, we have a story we heard as little kids that Abraham's father was this great astrologer and he understood the, the secrets of Avodah of uh, idolatry. He understood how idolatry worked. I explained this morning uh, a way to understand it is this. There's a restaurant I used to like to go to. And basically, I go to this restaurant, and I know, I give the waiter, when I walk in the door, a hundred bucks. This is 40, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I wouldn't do this now. I walk in the restaurant, I give the guy a hundred bucks. And all of a sudden, I, I'm the king. Because, and every time I would go, I would go to this place once a week. The first minute I walk in, I give him a hundred bucks. And then I sit down, the best table I want, because the waiter's going to put me there, and he brings me food. And I look at the bill later, and all he charged me for is my, the main 
He didn't charge me for the drinks. He didn't charge me for the appetizer. He didn't charge me for the dessert. He just charged for one main for each of us. Everything else is on the house. And then he brings you bags and says, take it home. What's going on? He doesn't own the restaurant. But because I slipped him a hundred, he says, I know I'm going to get a hundred every time plus the tip. I'm going to give this guy whatever he wants. That's Abu Dazara. The owner of the restaurant is God. He really is responsible. He's the guy behind this whole place. But what ha- And I'm supposed to just pay God the bill and be a straight shooter. What I figure out, if I worship Abu Dazara, if I shortcut it by paying off the angel, right? And God allows that to work because he has to, we have free choice whether to take the dark side or the shortcut or the, the regular side. So I pay off the waiter and the waiter feeds me. Avodazara is paying off the waiter, the angel. The angel will give you whatever you want and you're not going through the system. That's what idolatry was in those days. Did it work? Absolutely worked. Because if there was a reality of God, in order for life to be 50-50 choice, there had to be a reality of the dark side. If you had miracles that were present and a prophet who could tell you why you were sick and what you needed to do, then you needed a dark side or else you would, everyone would just say, oh, God must be. If I touch the light and I get hit by lightning, then I don't have free choice anymore. If God is so real, I don't have free choice anymore. I have to have free choice, so it has to be balanced. When the temple was destroyed and God went into hiding, in order for it to remain 50-50, the dark side also had to lose its power. Right? In our eyes, at least. So that it would still be 50-50. But in those days, it seemed, there was a great power on the dark side. So his father understood the power of the dark side. And he had this big store filled with idols. And these idols allowed you to channel that angel who you wanted to get the favor. Now, we were talking about this morning. There are certain people who can still access the dark side. I don't know if it's true. But Rabbi Miller said his rabbi was telling and the problem is when you access the dark side through, the angel, through these angels or demons or whoever we want to call them, they also exact a price from you. You have to pay the bill eventually. Now, Abraham's father is the, is the king of the dark side. He understands how to access. He is Darth, no, the, 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 the main guy, right? Yeah, I am your father, yeah. Okay, Darth Vader. So he has this... this house of statues leaves Abraham in charge one day comes back and all the statues are destroyed says what happened there's this children's story that we hear but he says what happened so Abraham says well I put out food and they started fighting over the food and the biggest idol came and he took a he took a sledgehammer and he put it in the next to the big idol he took the sledgehammer and he smashed the rest of them and his father said, come on, what are you telling me? So, he says, he was, so Abraham said, Dad, if you, if you, why, do you, why are you going this way? Why? So basically his father turns him in to the religious police, the religious police, and he's arrested by Nimrod. And Nimrod says, I'm God. And I control all these powers. And Nimrod must have had a way also of controlling these powers. And Abraham says, no, if you are, then tomorrow make the sun come up from the west and not the east. Otherwise, you're not God if you're not in control of the universe. So Nimrod tells him, basically, if you don't accept me as God, I'm throwing you into this furnace. There was a furnace in the center of Ur-Kastim. It must have been a place of idolatry where they 
may have burned children because that was the biggest thing that Abraham fought against. And he says, you're going to get thrown in. He says, okay, that's what it is, that's what it is. So they take Abraham, they bind him in chains, and they throw him into this fire to be immediately burned up alive. After a little while, he's singing inside and he ends up walking out. And the chains are gone and the, the clothing is fine and he doesn't even smell of smoke and all the people are like shocked. So that's the story we heard. The rest of the story is he has a brother. His brother's name is Haran. Haran is standing on the side. He's not sure. Do I stick with Nimrod or do I stick with Abraham? And at first he's thinking, you know what? Abraham just got thrown to the fire. I better stick with Nimrod and keep my mouth shut. But as soon as Abraham comes out of the fire, what does Haran do? He says, you know what? He's going to be the most famous guy in the world. Everybody's going to be talking about the guy who came out of the fire. If he came out of the fire because he believes in God, I believe in God too. I'm going into the fire. I don't accept Nimrod. He goes into the fire, and his ashes are still somewhere in Babylonia because he dies. Now, boom, why? Because he didn't, Abraham went in thinking he was going to die. It was over. He only went in Haran because he felt that if he goes in, uh, he'll be famous. And he'll stick with his brother. So it was an interesting day for the family. Haran has two children. Who are his two children? Sarah, Sarah, and Lot. And Sarah marries, oh, three children. Milka, Sarah, and Lot. Milka marries Abraham's other brother. Sarah marries Abraham. And Lot comes along with Abraham for the ride. So basically, the two daughters are left orphans. So the two uncles take their nieces as wives in order to protect them because otherwise they would be left with nothing in the world. The Arizal tells us that Aharon HaKohen was a Gilgul, was a reincarnation, providing a tikkun for Haran. Now how do we relate Aaron and Haran? How do we relate the two? He says that, that Haran sacrificed his life in Ur Kasdim. He wanted to do it for God. Part of him believed he was doing it for God, but his intention was certainly not proper, which we say in Hebrew is lishma, is for the sake of God's name, or lo lishma. It was not for the sake. So we say that Haran, Haran wasn't lishma, was not lishma. Haran says in the Pasuk, Haran died in the presence of Terach, his father, in his native, why in the presence of his father and not in the presence of Nimrod? It was because it was the fault of his father for turning them in, that they got, they got killed. According to Arizal, he says that it was precisely for this reason that Haran reincarnated into Aaron Kohen, who rectified the mistake of Haran. How? The name Haran is He Resh Nun. The name Aharon is the same He Resh Nun with an Aleph in front. How do, we, how do we see and where does the olive come from? Now, we, so this is really based on the Arizal, that Haran came to make amends for the sin of Adam Harishon, who worshipped idolatry. How? When the snake comes to Adam, he tells Adam, if you eat from the tree, or he tells Chava, if you eat from the tree, 
The reason why God doesn't want you to eat from the tree is because God ate from the tree and that allowed him to become God. If you eat from the tree, you will be just like God. And that in some level is Abu Dazara. So, so what happened was, Haran comes back with Abraham to make amends for Adam HaRisham. We see that, that Abraham comes back and he makes amends because we see the biggest sin of Adam was lack of self-control. And we see that Abraham has this self-control that Adam didn't have. Now, what happens now is that Haran also comes back to make amends for Adam's worship of idolatry. But he fails. And therefore he's burnt in, the, in this furnace. But Aaron then has to come back to fix it. So Haran comes back as Aharon, exactly the same, but with an extra olive in front. Now, regarding the contention that Haran was obligated to make amends for Adam Harishon's sin, we, we, oh, we just mentioned that. So now, the basis of the Arizal's contention that as a Gilgul of Adam HaRishon, who was guilty of Avodah Zarah, Haran was required to sacrifice his life and be consumed with fire for the sake of Kiddushat Hashem. So he's saying that Haran had an opportunity like Abraham had an opportunity. When Nimrod stood them in front of the fire, Haran had an opportunity at that moment. Am I going to stick with Abraham or stick with Nimrod? Because he was wishy-washy and didn't make his decision until after, then you see the reason he went in was because he believed that he would survive because of Abraham and because he would get fame. And therefore his death lacks this aspect of lishma. How exactly then did Aaron make amends for Haran's defective act of self-sacrifice? He didn't sacrifice himself. Look, Hor got killed like Abraham went into the fire. Hor died. So what should Aaron have done? Shouldn't have waited to see, Hor died, I'm not going in. I'm not. It seems that Aaron fails. So how are you saying that Aaron is the one who made amends for Haran? How, how, how does he make amends? That's Arizal's question. So he says, so Rav Pinchas, he's, he's struck by this idea of the Arizal. He says that, we're trying to reconcile the fact that Haron HaKohen chose to make the ego rather than sacrifice his life for the sake of Kiddush Hashem. And the fact that he makes the ego is the way he fixes Haran. Seems very difficult. Haron saw and he built a Mizbeach in front of him. And he says, Chag Machar, a holiday to God tomorrow. Rashi comments there that he understood that they had killed Hur, like we read. And because he understood they sacrificed Hor, he wanted to do something different. So Aharon chose to make the Egel for the people rather than sacrificing his life for Kiddushat Hashem. He witnessed the, the murder of Hor, who refused to, to follow the rabble's request. He figured that if Israel killed him, there would be no hope for saving them or remedying their transgressions. The reason he doesn't is really what, 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 you, what, doctor, is, is what you said. Is he, says, he said that Aaron saw, they built the Mizbeach in front of him. He's quoting the Pasuk from Echa, and it says, Should a Kohen and a Navi, 
Hor is considered a prophet, a Navi. Aaron is considered a priest, a Kohen, even though he wasn't yet. But it says, the verse there says, if they're both killed in the temple, meaning they're killed together in the same place, the same time in the worship of God, then what's going to happen? There's no coming back. The people at that point would need to be destroyed. There's no return. That's the sin of no return. So he sees, even though I should allow myself to die instead of worshiping the idol, if I allow myself to be killed, then they'll be guilty of killing me and Hur in the same day. And if they do that, there won't be any way to save them. There's no coming back. That's his thinking. Furthermore, like, like, uh, so, like Moshe said, that Aaron accepted upon himself the blame for making the Egel in order to save Israel from extermination. He said, basically, put the blame on me. And therefore, because he was willing to sacrifice... So, so the interesting thing here is, what is he willing to sacrifice? It says, a person can sacrifice their life. When we talk about a person sacrificing themselves for God, or giving of themselves for God, what's the language we use? We use a term called mesirut nefesh. Mesirut nefesh means, actually, giving up my nefesh, my, my life. But it really means soul. So, if a person's going to go into the fire or let themselves be killed, what are they giving up? They're giving up their life, not their soul. So what Aaron is essence, in essence is doing in this case is he's saying, I'm willing to give up everything, not just my life. I'm willing to give up, because if I let myself die, then I'm going to be a martyr, and they're going to talk about me forever. Like we talk about Hor, what a great guy he was. He stood up for God, he got killed. And look at the reward that Hor gets. His grandson is Betzalel. It says, what about Betzalel? He's the one who built the Mishkan. And why is Betzalel the one who has all of this understanding and calculations? Because his grandfather didn't calculate anything. He said, this is what you got to do. I stood up for God and he's rewarded. And we have Hur coming back also. We have Hur coming back also in, uh, in Kalev. Because it says with Kalev, Kalev, it says about Kalev, he had, he had Ruach Acher. He had a second Ruach in him. When Kalev goes in as a spies, it says he had Ruach Acher. What's, and Kalev is related to Hur. They're both from the tribe of, uh, of Yehuda. If you take... Kalev is, Kalev is, I think also, is, it was either his grandfather or, son, or his gr- something like that. But, or, but Hur, if you, take the, if you take the word Hur and you reverse the letters, Ruach. So it says about Kalev, Ruach Acher. The spirit of Hur came back and was part of Kalev. And Kalev is the spy who goes in and doesn't, uh, doesn't rebel against Moses. And he's the one who's given the territory of, uh, of uh, where did they have the casino? in? Uh, when the, no, Palestinians had the casino. Yericho. He's given Yericho. And, he's, and he lives for a long, long time. So he says he lives through him. Now, what happens? It says Ruach Acher. The, the verse says Ruach Acher. So there's a second Ruach in him. Ruach. No, Ruach. Ruach is Hur. Hur is the Ruach Acher. 
That's, the, that's what it is in him. It's a very strange term to say that he had within him an additional spirit. What's the additional spirit? It's actually Hor, who came to give him the strength to stand up to the people and tell them no. And that's the reason that Moshe blessed Yehoshua, that he needed to have extra strength. He didn't need to do it for Kalev, because Kalev already had the extra strength from who? From Hor. So Kalev acquired the soul of Hor in addition to his own soul? Correct. Right. It's, 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 it's an ibur, in, we call it Ibur Neshama, a pregnancy of the soul. If we do something good in this world, then sometimes a spirit that was here before will enter us and will give us assistance to do more, to do even more and greater things until we mess up and then that Ibur leaves us. We have many cases of Ibur Neshama that we see discussed by the Arizal. So now, when Aharon, so they approach Aharon, they tell him to make the, the Egel, and he, he specifically knows what would happen if they kill him, and therefore, he goes ahead and makes the Egel, even though he should be punished and be cut off forever. It's a sin that you can't imagine. God said, because you were willing to give yourself up, your spirit up for them, you're the one who was so concerned about their spirit, their spirituality, then I'm going to make you the one who's responsible for their spirituality, and therefore you and your descendants will become the priest of the people. This is Tal Eret. So it goes further. So we have an explicit source indicating that Aharon was indeed ready and willing to be slain for the sake of Kiddushat Hashem, yet he didn't do so in order to save Bnei Israel from annihilation. Even though it meant making the Egel, he understood if they murdered him, they would be gone. Now the Khatam Sofer goes further. He explains this concept of Mesirut Nefesh, means sacrificing one's spiritual self to Hashem. In other words, one has to be willing to also forfeit his share in Olam Haba, in the next world. He says, if a guy is going to say, okay, I'm going to willing to give my body, but he says, that's not what Mesirut Nefesh is. He says, we, we see in Musar that there was a, he, he just brings an example, it probably never existed, that if they come to someone and say, if you do the right thing, you go to hell. But if you do the wrong thing, you go to heaven. What's the guy supposed to do? He has to do the right thing, even though he goes to the opposite. A person has to do the right thing, even if he has to sacrifice his soul. That, that's the way they bring it. So based on this, he explains that Aaron's rationale to make the Egel was that he didn't want the people to be destroyed. And he goes and he says, so, so he says it was, pre- it was preferable for him to transgress the sin of making an idol, even if he would be responsible and would lose everything in the future, so that to stop the people from making a sin. Where do we have an example of this? David HaMelech, it says, the Gemara in Sanhedrin says, King David wanted to go do Avodah Zarah, wanted to worship idols. What do you mean he wanted to worship idols? So he says, he, he, he says that, Hushai the Archite, he says, he says to him, he says, David, people are going to say, could a king like you worship idols? Why would you worship Avodah Zarah? What's going on here? So David said to him, I would prefer that, that if my son is going to kill me, when his son rebelled against him, that if my son is going to kill me, what are people going to say about God? God is not just. So rather than people say God is not just, 
Let me go worship an idol? So the people would say, the reason why God had me killed was because I worshipped an idol. And if I worship an idol, I lose my future world. But I'd rather lose my future world than people talk badly about God. That's what the Gemara talks about King David. It says, now, this is a similar situation that Aaron is putting himself in the similar position that he wants to put himself in order to save the people. He says that. Now, now we can begin to understand how he rectifies the shortcoming of Haran. He says that Haran's shortcomings stem from having witnessed his brother Abraham sacrifice his life for the sake of Kiddushat Hashem. And he came out of the furnace alive. He says, Abraham sanctified the name of a God publicly in a manner that had never been done before. Not only did he sacrifice his life in order to sanctify the holy name, but God saved him supernaturally from being burned alive. Thus Hashem's name was sanctified, that look at how amazing it is, and Abraham lives. Having witnessed this, what does he say? He says that, he says that I'm going to go into the fire like we mentioned. And, and what happens? He says, he says that, this is, this is precisely what occurred with Aaron. Yisrael approaches Hor. They request he makes the egel, the idol. He's willing to sacrifice himself for Kiddushat Hashem. He refuses to make the egel, he's murdered. He's the person who's known throughout generations as the, one, the first one who dies, Al-Kiddushat Hashem, for the holiness of God's name. So they approach Aaron, and they give him the same request. It says, but he assessed the situation, realized that the consequences of self-sacrifice were, were, it's a, would be a calamity. Yes, his name would be recorded forever as someone who was willing to give up his life for God, but that would prevent Israel from ever being forgiven. As a consequence, there would be no tikkun and it would all be over. So he decided to sacrifice his life in a different way. The Khatam Sofer says he's prepared to forfeit his portion in both worlds by making the, the, the golden calf and preventing them from killing him. His main objective was to save B'nai Israel and ensure that a form of a tikkun, of a correction, would be available to them for the Ched HaEgel. They would be able to perform sincere and complete repentance. This is what he meant, and he said, it's, pre- pre- it's preferable that I be held accountable for this despicable act and not them. So we could appreciate Aaron's act of self-sacrifice rectified Haran's defective act of self-sacrifice, but it was still an act of self-sacrifice. And that's where he's going to explain something unbelievable. He says that we have to understand that Haran still went into the fire. He still has to get credit, even though it wasn't L'Shem Shamayim. How could you tell he has no credit? Aaron, on the other hand, didn't die, but it was L'Shem Shamayim. So how do the two balance each other? He says, now we're going to understand all of this is the secret of the Aleph that's in front of the name Aaron that separates Aaron from Haran. A little heavy, but let's try to go through it fast. Barhehe asks Hillel a question. This is from Pirkavot. From a pasuk in Malachi, which appears to be redundant. The pasuk mentions the difference between a righteous person and a wicked person, and between one who serves Hashem and one who does not. What does that mean? Isn't a Sadiq one who serves God, and isn't a Rasha, a wicked person, one who doesn't? Hillel answers that one who serves God and one who does not, both could be completely righteous. 
Nevertheless, there is no comparison between the righteous one who reviews his studies 100 times and one versus the guy who reviews his studies 100 times. Wait, what's going on here? You could say there's differences between a righteous and a wicked, but the biggest difference of all is between someone who reviews his studies 100 times versus someone who reviews them 101 times. You're going to tell me that it's such a huge difference, the separation between a wicked and righteous person, between the difference of reviewing 100 or 101. If a guy reviewed 100 times, wow, it's unbelievable. He needs to do the 101. What is the secret behind the 101? He says, what does that mean? He says that, how could you call the guy who learns 100 times law abdu versus the other one who's oved elokim? One is didn't serve God, one served God. He says that to understand what this means, it's not really telling us 101 versus 100. It's telling us that the person who reviewed 100 is lacking echad. What is echad? Echad means that his, his reason for learning, his reason for doing, his reason for being is only about himself. It's not about echad. Echad means one. And when we refer to echad, what are we referring to? God. God is one. He says that that person... What does he have to do? He has to shoneh parko. He has to learn his, his chapter 101 times, meaning he has to learn 100 for the sake of one. That's the difference. Someone who learns it lishma, for heaven's sake, or lo lishma. This idea is brought down in the Degel Machane Ephraim in the name of the Baal Shem Tov. He says that we have to devote our studies to the champion of the world, to the world's Aleph. Aleph is this one, this is God. He says, this is the implica- implication. It's Aleph Bet is Aluf Bina, learn wisdom. That a person has to learn wisdom. He has to learn wisdom for Lishma. This coincides with what we learn in Pirkei It says, Rabbi Meir says that anyone who forgets, this is the craziest law, and I remember learning it as a six-year-old kid, the teacher told us, and we were scared out of our minds. Rabbi Meir says, anyone who forgets even a single item of the Torah learning is considered guilty of death. What do you mean? So the teacher would say, if you don't learn everything and remember everything I taught you today, you're guilty of death. Could you imagine telling a six-year-old kid this? He says, what does that mean? That if you forget anything, you're guilty of death? We all forget. How can you tell me I'm guilty of death? It's understood to mean that the person didn't forget that. He forgot echad. He forgot one. He forgot the reason why we do everything that we do is because it has to be for the right reason with God behind it. He says that one always has to understand that echad is crucial. He says this is the significance of the letter Aleph that was, that was added to the name Haran to form Aharon. Haran went into the fire and he sacrificed himself but really wasn't for the sake of heaven. But Aharon, when he saved himself, it wasn't to save himself for himself. His saving himself was for the, for the sake of heaven. And therefore, his tikkun of Haran is the Aleph that's added to Aharon that becomes Haran. Goes even further. And, and this, is, this is the... We're going to end it with this. I think I have it. Yeah, two more pages. But this is how we end. So he says, this is what I, I saw unbelievable. Going further... We see that, that Rab Pinchas ben Yair explains to Rabbeinu HaKadosh the, his rationale for not wanting to benefit from other human beings. Something crazy that's going on in the Gemara. This is in Hulim. He says, the people of Israel are holy. There is a person who wants to share, but lacks sufficient resources. 
So I want to give to someone, but I don't have the money in order to give. Then there's the person who has sufficient resources, but doesn't sincerely want to share. Tosfot asks an, an obvious question. If the latter individual possesses the resources to share with others, but doesn't wish to do so, why is he considered holy? Okay, the first guy has no money, but he wants to give the money. The second guy has plenty of money, but he doesn't want to give the money, but he gives the money. Why does he give the money? Peer pressure, whatever it is. But he doesn't want to give the money. If he didn't have to, if he could hide, he would hide. So why is the second guy considered holy? God gave him the money. He's giving the money not because he's doing the right thing. He's giving the money. So he says, Rav Zushi explains on this. He says, it's known that the performance of every mitzvah generates a malach. You know, like the, what was the, the movie with, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Stewart. You know, every time you do a good deed, the angel or whatever gets his wings. Okay. Come on. What was the Christmas one? Okay. Huh? Okay, forget it. Rav Zushi explains, it's known that the performance of every mitzvah, every time you do a good deed, you generate an angel. You create this spiritual being which acts as an advocate on behalf of that person who performed this mitzvah. Very interesting now. Although a malach, an angel, is a spiritual creature, it is nonetheless composed of a body and a soul. The body of the malach is generated by the actual performance of the mitzvah, while the proper intent to perform the mitzvah generates the soul of the malach. So you need two things to create this malach. You need the action and the intent. Accordingly, it turns out that a person who has sufficient funds but is reluctant to give charity, yet he gives anyway out of shame, generates only what? A body of the malach. For he performed the deed, but unwillingly. Seeing as he did not perform the mitzvah lishma, the neshama, the soul of the malach, of the angel, is still lacking. In contrast, the person who wishes to give charity, but lacks the funds to perform the commandment, generates the neshama for the malach, because he sincerely desires to fulfill, but he's unable to do it, so he can't contribute to the body. So how does God remedy this? In his infinite mercy and kindness, he combines the first person's deed, the one who gave without doing it properly, with the one who wanted to give but couldn't. So together, this angel that they create is a joint venture that's created. This then is the message conveyed by Rabbi Pinchas ben Yair. He says, Israel is holy. In other words, when the two types of people join together, they form a holy union, and he explains how it works. There is a person who wants to share, but lacks sufficient resources. That's the guy who wants to give. His good intentions generate the malach's neshama, the angel's soul. Then there's the person who has sufficient resources, but he doesn't want to give, but he only gives out of shame. His act, even though it's insincere, generates the malach's body. God combines them to create this malach. We find this also expressed by the Noam Elimelech. He addresses the, the statement of the sages. A person should always engage in the study of the Torah and the performance of the commandments, 
even though his actions are not purely motivated. How are you telling me that? So you always say a person should do, do what he has to do, even lo lishma. Because if he does it lo lishma, if he does it not for heaven's sake, eventually it will become balishma. What do you mean it's going to come to be heaven's sake? So you're telling me when I raise a child, I want my child to learn to give charity. So every day I give him money to put in the box. And eventually I believe that if he's going to put in the box every day, eventually he'll be overcome with feeling that this is the right thing to do and do. He says, no, absolutely not. That's not the reason what you're talking about. It has nothing to do. He says, what does God do? He says that, he says, because eventually he says, you're going to do lishma. He says, God takes the Torah mitzvot that were learned and not performed lishma. He says, when we do something and we're doing it for the wrong reason, I'm giving charity, but I'm only giving it because I'm in the synagogue and everybody else raised their hand. He says, what happens? He says, God combines you with the other person who wants to do a lishma but can't. And therefore, your act, even though it was lo lishma, when God combines it with the other person's act, it becomes lishma. They both become lishma. It becomes if you could become successful only with partners, and that's why it says Kol Yisrael Aravim Zelazeh. Everyone relies on one another. We're all connected and rely. He says he combines the proper thought with the actual deed. Seeing the Gemara says Machshava Tova Kemaaseh, a good thought. Is like an action. Why, when it comes to B'nai Israel, if you have the proper intent, but you can't do it, you get credit as if you did it. If you wanted to come to class tonight, but the snow prevented you from going to learn, you get credit as if you went. Why? Because the ma'aseh is not the ikar. Even though it is the ikar, the machshava gives you credit. The thought gives you credit. Now, what if you have money and you thought of it? Then you create the angel. That's the highest level. That's the highest level. He says he considers proper thought as an actual deed. However, they're conveying the message that Hashem combines the proper intentions of the, so, the righteous person, which is lishma, with the person who wasn't lishma. We go from here, he no. says. Do you, yeah. You both get full credit, or you're getting partial credit. You're both getting credit together. You're, sh- you're getting fifty-fifty. You're sharing it together. But now you understand really what's going on with Aaron and Haran. He says, "Why did Aaron rectify Haran?" So, no, so, you're, so this comparison is really between Aharon and Haran. And Haran, this is how he's showing. He's saying, Haran performed a good deed. What did he do? He went into the fire, but it was Lolishma. So what did he do when he went into the fire, Lolishma? He creates an angel, but the angel has no soul. What does Aharon do? Aharon, who's Haran's Gilgul, holds the opposite. He has the proper intent. Even though he didn't get killed, his intention is what rectifies and fixes Haran's act. Because Haran is sitting in heaven and can't get credit for going into the fire. Why? Because that angel who he created can't speak for him. Why? Because it's only a body with no soul. Until Aaron comes and rectifies it, by having the proper intent, and now that angel could stand for Haran, and that rectifies Haran. That fixes Haran. Goes further, he says, that we start out, This means the tikkun accomplished by means of the gilgul of the neshamot is precisely what happens with Haran. His act of self-sacrifice was not performed lishma. Ultimately, it became Lishma by means of his Gilgul into Aaron. Aaron's intention 
without any ulterior motive, accomplishes the necessary tikkun for Haran's deficient act, applying what we learned, we could propose a nice interpretation of the pasuk. It says, Vayas Hashem Elokim Adam or Hashem made for man when 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 man sinned, man was naked. So man went and took a fig leaf. Says next, no, God made for man ketonet or. We could say ketonet or is leather leather clothing. Or we could call it clothing of light. He says, Hashem made for Adam and his wife garments of skin. According to the Midrash, these clothing are the garments of the Kohen Gadol. Why? He says, Adam Harishon was the firstborn of the world. When he offered a korban, it gives you the verse in Tehillim, and says that his garments were the garments of the Kohen Gadol. It gives you this verse, and it has exactly eight words. Eight words of this verse relate to the eight garments of the Kohen Gadol. And he says, and therefore, the Kohen Gadol is always the one who's metaken the sin of Adam Harishon. Because in reality, Haran was fixing the sin of Adam, but couldn't complete the refixing of the sin of Adam until Aharon HaKohen comes. Only when Aharon... What? Yeah, the, 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 it's 6932. So, sorry. Yeah? Yeah, so, uh, so basically, so Adam's Rishon uh, soul, right, is basically the reincarnation of Haran, who's the reincarnation of Aharon. Right. So basically, so as we understand, when the soul splits, right, that's why there's half of it is up there and the other half is in the next body. Right, that's how we could. Uh, but but we, we don't. But with Aaron, with Adam, with Adam, it's everyone is part oh, of right, Adam. Everyone's part of that. But the, the idea is that there's parts of Adam that that we all have to fix. So all of us have a responsibility. The main sin of Adam is lack of self control. That's his single biggest sin, which is, which is our biggest sorry. difficulty. Right. Basically, Adam was created in the middle of the afternoon Friday and told. Here's your wife, and here's the food. Eat anything, but tonight we're going to have a wedding, and after the wedding you can eat from even that tree that I told you not to eat from. What does Adam do? He sees his wife, pretty, pretty girl, can't control himself, sleeps with her, snake sees he sleeps with her, says, I want that girl, figure out a way to get rid of Adam, and then the whole thing happens with the fruit. So the problem Adam has, the main problem, is lack of self-control. What was the he had to just wait till Shabbat. It was all over. To have relation, even to have relations. Yeah, he should have waited. Hashem was going to be Mesader Kedushin. Right. Friday night is mitzvah night. Wait for the mitzvah night. And that's when you're supposed to be with your wife. Well, where, where is it? We, it's not safe. This is the Arizal says that the version we read in the Torah is the, is, PG, is the PG version. The Zohar says the R-rated version is that he slept with his wife. Once he slept with his wife, why is the snake find Chava alone? Where's Adam? Right. Right, Where's Adam? If Adam and Eve had just created, how does the snake find Chava? Why is she alone? Where is Adam? Because he slept with her, and what happened after he finished? He took a nap. While he was sleeping, the snake had seen what they did, said, I want that. I'm going to get rid of Adam. Let me give her the food. She'll give it to Adam, and he'll be gone, and I'll have her. Simple version, you know, I, I mean, we're making it simple. But basically, that's the problem. Then we go to the fruit, and that's the whole problem. The whole problem is lack of self-control. Had he waited till Shabbat, the, the, one of the ideas that we have is, just, just to finish with this, is that B'nai Israel to give them credit that they really had no bad intention initially, is we brought the example up a few times. 
You could live in a world of chesed, or you could live in a world of gvura. Chesed is all kindness. God created the world as gvura, as justice. Why justice? Because if I pass the test, I get a lollipop, or whatever you want to call it. If I, pay, if, I'm, if I work as this job, after a year, I get my CPA, or after two years, or when you went to medical school. You had to go through your rotations, you would test and test and test and test. If you failed, what happened? Adios amigo, you're gone. And how many, what percentage started with you and never finished? Enough, right? Uh, anyway, you, you, basically that's the idea of deen. If we have chesed, all chesed, then whether you came to school or not, at the end of four years, they gave you a diploma. And you can put it on your wall and you can practice medicine. Which doctor do you want to go to? The doctor who went to medical school of chesed, where he didn't have to go to school, he didn't have to take a test, he didn't have to do anything, but he got his diploma, or the one who went to deen. The only growth in the world is through deen. B'nai Israel's argument to Moshe is we need deen. We need to grow. We need the calf to show us that that's the way to grow. That's the idea of growth, is through the calf, through, through Gabriel, through Gvura, through judgment, through testing, through pushing us. That was their, their so who argument. Says, who says that they weren't going to be tested anymore? I mean, you know, they were... So they looked at Moshe's failure. Moshe didn't return. Moshe is dead. They but see him dead. They imagine the reason why Moshe is a failure is because he's too soft. He needs to be more, more strict, more, judge, more judging. So they saw, the gro- they saw the growth potential in that. And, and that's really, that, you know, that to judge them on the positive, he's saying that's what they wanted. They wanted to grow. They had a good intention to grow. And, and that's, that's really One to give them... I always wondered about, like, to my mind, even though Joshua became the next leader, they still had Aaron you know, I would have thought that since Aaron was always accompanying Moshe to Pharaoh, and since Aaron was the leader of the generation before Moshe came back, um, I would have thought there would have been... That's the the, the answer is easy. But the answer is easy. If you're telling me that Moshe is soft, he's, he's the softest. There's no growth through Aaron. That's how you see that that suggestion of the Arizal that says that the only reason they did the Egel is because they wanted growth through judgment. And we see when the Mashiach comes, there's no more chesed, there's no more kindness. There's only a world of gvura. So that, that's what we're saying to give them a benefit. We're saying it was the Erev Rav. But maybe it wasn't. So, you know, that's just one opinion. They, they wanted this idea. The, the Arab Rab could have been the ones that said the idea behind the Egel is not to grow, it's to throw off all Mahut Shamayim. It's to have nothing. That's why they go and they start sleeping with everyone. We don't want any rules anymore. You tell me I can't sleep with my sister-in-law? Are you nuts? I want to sleep with my sister-in-law. That's, the, that's their complaint. And they use the Egel as an excuse to do whatever they want. But the, the, the reality is that, that maybe they wanted to have this aspect of growth. And maybe that's where they were going with it, but the Erev Rav forces them to throw it off and they fail. We also realize that we can't exist. That's the same sin in a way that Adam got trapped in. Um, Because according to one thing that... Uh, So that's where I was going. Sorry. So where I was going was this. God comes to Adam and says to Adam, your only test is not to to have self-control for six hours. That's the test. It's a fruit. That's the test. Self-control, whatever we're going to call it, for six hours. Adam says, if I eat from the fruit, I'm going to be subject. 
uh, it says the, the yeah, you, you have the breakdown of the hours. He was created the sixth hour, the seventh hour, he did this, the eighth hour, the ninth hour, he's in the tenth hour, the throne hour. We have all the hours the Gemara goes through, the specifically each hour. But we don't know if it was an hour because whatever. But, but what I'm saying is this Adam, though, said this challenge is not great enough for us. We need a greater challenge. We're going to eat from the fruit. And then we're going to be faced with this tremendous challenge. And that's what we're going to overcome. And then we're going to be successful. But God says to him, you idiot. The great challenge was just not to eat the fruit. The same with B'nai Israel here. You see when we begin this whole chapter with the Egel, right before we talk about Shabbat. Why? B'nai Israel says, no, we need a greater challenge. Hashem is saying to them, you idiots. The only thing you need to do is Shabbat. There's enough of a challenge in Shabbat. If you get through the Sabbath and can control yourself to put away your cell phone, to turn off the TV, to whatever, whatever, then you succeed. But what happens? We try to eat too much. We, we eat, you know what I'm saying? Even spiritually, we want to be more than we are. But the Arizal says, that's why they have Shabbat. The same Shabbat relates to the same test of Adam. Shabbat comes down often to one thing, self-control. And that's how he brings the two and relates the whole mistake to the ego. That's we want a bigger challenge. That, that's the idea. <laughs> the idea is it relates to that. If Adam had done what Same he was thing. supposed to do for six hours, it all would have been over. If we do two Shabbats, other opinion, one Shabbat, then it's all over. Because what happens? We face the challenge and we overcome the challenge. Again, we go back again with this idea of, 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 uh, of, of part of this is the idea of self-control. But I think the, the more interesting part of this is that God creates this world in a way that we don't just fail. Adam fails, but Adam gets help through Haran. Haran fails, but God doesn't just say, okay, you failed. He lets Aaron come back to combine with Haran to take the action of Haran, which wasn't properly done, and to raise it to a level. So there's such tremendous kindness in how the world is. We just have to let ourselves go with the, the force or whatever we want to call it and do the proper thing and know that everything's going to balance in the end because there's a complete plan that every, how everything is designed. So, a couple of things. Uh, so this angel that's created from 